CannabisRadio.com proudly presents the newest and greatest podcast in the galaxy, The Real Dirt with Chip Baker, your insider industry connection to accurate and entertaining information about cannabis technology, production, cultivation, and everything in between. The Real Dirt with Chip Baker is a podcast series featuring the cannabis industry's expert pioneer growers, venture capitalists, lawyers, and dispensary owners, rolling joints and dropping knowledge about cannabis technology, production, cultivation, and everything in between. The future of legal cannabis has arrived, and we want to give you the real dirt with Chip Baker. All right, here we are. It's the real dirt. Today's dirt, I have Fletcher from Archive Seed Bank and Dispensary in Portland, Oregon. What's up, Fletch? Hey, Chip. How's it going? Oh, man, it's going great. I'm glad we finally got you on the show. You've been so busy setting up your new dispensary. It's it's just been hard getting time scheduled between us. Yeah, definitely. I know you're uh, pretty busy yourself as well. I'm always cooking up some projects. Well, since we started this podcast, I've had even even more stuff to do. It's been great. You know, I like to stay busy and talk to people about cannabis and smoking weed and hydro and technology. Yep, uh, there's uh, plenty to say about growing and plenty to say about cannabis in general. Always it's a new market, and um, we're constantly learning every day, and there's something new popping up and disruptive technology and all kinds of fun stuff to play with. Give me the who, what, when, Fletcher. I'm first and foremost a grower. That's my main thing. And I also like to preserve heritage cannabis genetics. And my company, Archive Seed Bank, is kind of a culmination of many years of preserving a lot of unique varieties that were collected over the past 13 years or so. Basically, taking those varieties, hybridizing them, coming up with new stuff, and really trying to make sure those heritage varieties that maybe aren't today's market the biggest piece of the market share, at least we're going to preserve those unique genetics. And I think we'll find a lot of uses for them in the future. How long have you been at this project? I've been breeding for probably about six or seven years or since about 2008. I've been making seeds and hybrids. Uh, and then I was collecting for about five years before that, six years before that. So uh, it's Archive Seeds Portland. I know you've kind of like been all over the country looking for the, the, the right place to put this seed bank and dispensary in. You were in Colorado for a while. You were in L.A. for a while. You were in Washington for a while. What happened in Portland? Why'd you, why'd you end up there? Well, I think, um, I, you know, I'm uh, originally from the East Coast, but lived in Washington for a long time and always had home base up here and Basically, what happened is the Washington market implemented I-502, which did not allow the ability for vertical integration of your business. So you didn't have the ability to set up a cultivation center and your own retail center and be able to reach the consumer direct with your product. That's what I've always been known for and, and pride myself in. And having a middleman in the way doesn't benefit anybody in the long term except for the retailers. Explain what you mean there, man. So in Washington, set it up. Someone grows it, someone buys it, someone sells it, someone... Yeah. So in Washington, there's um, essentially three licenses. There's a a producer license, a processor license, and a retail license. The law is written so that uh, you're prohibited from owning a retail license and a cultivation license or producer license at the same time. Now, they did make it so that you could be a producer and a processor at the same time and hold both of those licenses. But that's just so that you can actually grow your pot and package it yourself and then sell it to a store. But you're not legally allowed to own a retail and a producer processor license. So basically, you end up with what's happened with a lot of the other agricultural markets in in America and the rest of the world is that – there becomes a handful of retailers like your national Kroger or Whole Foods or whoever, and they do the vast majority of the purchasing for fruits and vegetables and whatever it is. And it doesn't really matter how good your product is if the type of produce that you're producing or growing, if that produce is overproduced that year, the price is going to collapse. And agricultural collapse has happened many times in the history of commercial and particularly industrialized agriculture in America. 
And the way that we prevented that is two things, government subsidies and farmers unions, which basically exist for almost every other agricultural product except for cannabis because it's been illegal. So basically, as you know, as a result, the price of cannabis to the wholesaler or to the producer here in Washington has collapsed substantially while the retail price hasn't really changed that much. So the retailers are getting rich while the farmers grow more wheat to make less profit. And it's going to continue to happen. So the reason that I moved to Oregon and moved my business to Oregon is because in Oregon, you are allowed to own a producer, processor, and retail license all at the same time. Right. And so how long have you been then there? 2000, you started, you started up 2015, just last year? The store in Portland? Yeah, the store in Portland. That's when you it's only It's only been open two months, so we've only been open since June, end of June. Oh, yeah, sure. I, I just yeah. meant like you moved down there a year ago, 2015, to start this thing up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've been working on it for about um, about oh, two yeah, years what now. What you sipping on? Damn. Just some ice cold water. <laughs> you could have made it a little more excited, been like, and and white some... Tahoe and white Tahoe cookie rock, bubble hash rosin dabs. <laughs> uh, sweet, sweet. Oh, so so you've just opened up? Yep, just opened up, and we uh, provide seeds, clones, flowers, and concentrates, and everything else you basically could be looking for, and it's all produced in house. We. Uh, Really don't buy any vendor products. It's, you know, seed to sale, 100% in house. And I think we're the first legal seed bank in the United States to open a retail store. You kind of ran through all that. And for many of the listeners that aren't as familiar with what we're talking about here is you grow all your own product in your warehouse. It's high-end, hand-grown, high-quality produced cannabis. You sell it out the front door of your facility by the eighth or the gram or the quarter or the ounce, right? And yep. you can also buy the same clone of the same weed and the same seed, in some cases, of the same weed. So that's what's that's what's going on, right? That's absolutely it. And a lot of the varieties, we uh, made them as well. They're hybrids from our seed stock, and then we selected phenotypes, and are providing not only the seeds to be able to produce your own or to uh, get that seed vigor, but also selected phenotypes that have been, in my case, typically selected for flavor. I roll into your shop, and I want to grow an OG clone. What, what's your OG clone? I have a Rude Boy OG, which is face-off Rude OG. Boy. <laughs> it's named after a, another person that um, you know was on the forums back in the day, uh, Rude Boy. Mm-hmm. And it's the Irene OG, which is the clone from him that's pretty famous in Atlanta, crossed with the face-off OG BX1 seed line, male from that. Okay, so I come in and I say, hey, Fletch, high five, I'm stoked to be here. I need an OG clone. What do you got? And, you're gonna, and you just said rude boy. Well, being that you are a Colorado resident, you are are able to purchase a quarter ounce of weed a day or four clones until the end of the year. So anybody from basically anywhere in the world that's over 21 years old can come in and purchase four clones currently. Sweet. So I come in, I buy four clones. I'm like, hey, man, I want to I make sure this is what I want. You, 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 got the, you got the weed there too? Absolutely. It's on the shelf. And I'm, I'm kind of a big smoker, so I buy two eights. Roll those up out back. <laughs> <laughs> roll them in the parking lot roll on the way the, out yeah. turn around and, and uh get get your significant other to come in and buy another quarter ounce yeah that that's a that's a pretty typical event that happens funny funny all right so the weed looks good then i then i start thinking about thinking about it it's like well well can i get these seeds you're telling me i can get the seeds so now i bought the clone got four clones how much weed can i buy a quarter a quarter ounce per person per day. Okay. okay. I bought as a, a recreational consumer, if you're OMMP, which is a, uh, Oregon medical patient, then you, uh, it's a lot significantly more. <laughs> All right. Sweet. So, uh, and, th- and then now you got the seeds, you got the rude boy seeds. Rude boy. Yep, absolutely. Right. And you can, uh, take those home however you like and 
you now have preserved heritage seed stock that you can cultivate anytime you need. Awesome. Awesome. So <laughs> you, you really, you probably are the only person in the country doing this right now. Well, I think there's probably other people providing it, but I don't think there's any internationally recognized high time seed bank hall of fame seed companies that have opened a recreational legal store and are able to sell seeds and clones recreationally to customers from anywhere in the world. In Colorado, you're you're still not allowed to do that. Most recreational shops do not have provisions for uh, selling seeds and clones recreationally. Some Some do now, but it's only recently. And most of those companies, if not all of them, are not seed companies, you know. Right. Give me the awards, man. You, you said High Times Cannabis Cup of winning. Give me the awards. So I'm in the High Times Seed Bank Hall of Fame, which, you know, everybody from Super Sativa Seed Club to Sirius to DNA Genetics all in there. And then there's Hall probably, of Famer, Fletch Hall of Famer. <laughs> there's probably three. I don't, I don't pay attention to how many awards it is too much, but I think there's probably three first place or more with our genetics. We've won two of those, and I know other people have won with stuff recently. There's a bunch of second and third places that I've also gotten at like LA Cup, San Francisco Cup, first place in the Amsterdam Cup with Concentrate, first place at the very first 710 Cup with Turpex. I think uh, Dosido just won the um, – was it the 710 Cup? Some other big cup that happens in SoCal. Dosey Do is your product. Yeah, which is the OGKB face-off. That's taken the whole market by storm at this point. Yeah, somebody, I did not realize that was yours. Someone asked me about that the other day. Right. Awesome. Congratulations, <laughs> dude. That's great, man. Yeah. I mean, you know, I I the awards are cool, but it's more about just providing great product to people who appreciate it, who remember the uh, – the good old days where the the growers were small and the product was high. Tide is high and I'm moving on. <laughs> awesome. The market's become very commercialized, and I think the quality, I think in general, and I think you've commented on this before, Chip, has uh, mm. gone down drastically in markets like Colorado because there really is no economic incentive to produce good quality when – you know, the wholesale market price is under $2,000 a pound. Boom. There it is. Let's take a break right there, man. It's a good point for it. We'll come back and chat about bad weed. How about that? Bad weed. Bad weed, man. All right. Real dirt. Chip and Fletch. And we're back. Real dirt. Chip and Fletch. Fletch tells me I'm too stoned. <laughs> it's been known to happen. It's been, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the. The train wreck is small, man. I mean, it's, it's, the train wreck is small. The train wreck. But the, <laughs> how, the, how stoned are you? <laughs> dude, I mean, the buds are small, but like they get you really stoned, man. You know, this thing got, the train wreck got big outside. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll get big outside for sure. You know what I always really liked was train wreck Urkel. Oh yeah, totally. It like loses the hazy smell that the train wreck has on mm -hmm. it. And it just becomes like key lime pie funk, you know? Right. Yeah, there's quite a few great purple wreck cuttings going around. There's it's, it's a predominant weed here in Denver and Colorado, purple wreck. Yeah, but that's that clone that you brought out in 2010. <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that one's more that one's more wrecky a little bit, right, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, I'm yeah, looking yeah. for the one that's like... More urkely. Yeah. It stretches. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Funny. So uh, let's talk about bad weed, man. What's what the fuck is happening? Uh, it's just a product of commercialization. This is a uh, industrial agriculture at its finest. If you don't like it, change the laws. Because if you're going to allow people to grow more than basically five thousand square feet of canopy, this is the result you're going to get. It's a product of economics and agricultural economics. It's not schwagonomics. That's for damn sure. Yeah, it's not anybody's fault. I mean, ask yourself the same question when you go to the grocery store. Where's the heady bananas? Heady bananas, <laughs> Is there, bro. Right. Organic heady bananas, bananas, bro. Exactly. Where's your Whole Foods quality, whatever? You know, Whole Foods even has a very small selection of fruit. And it's because it doesn't pay to do anything different than that and be, mm -hmm. not only that but because a lot of the product has to be because it's because the demand 
is has stayed the same, but the supply has grown exponentially. The demand has slowed down for product. So it used to be that a pound has grown, it's sold the next day, it's smoked within a few days, and it's gone. Now product is sitting, it's in transports, brokered, it's all kinds of things are happening with it before it actually reaches the customer. And in that process, it's the same thing that you found with bananas and apples is we selected varieties that yield high with water weight that not for cannabis, but for fruits and vegetables and things, they yield high with water weight so that you get a lot per pound per acre. They ship very well so that when you cool them down, when they have a lot of water in them, it doesn't like freeze, but it it, uh, preserves very well. And then you select varieties that have enzymes that prevent them from degrading quickly, right? So that's why a lot of the fruit is the quality that we see is because a lot of it's been optimized for transport and its ability to be transported and stay fresh for a long period of time. Right. It is an agricultural product. It does uh, degrade. That is for sure. Right. And as it becomes processed, it, it degrades as well. And and with ca- cannabis is very much the, the exact same thing as our fruits and vegetables. And, you know, people start selecting varieties because they store well now or because the product doesn't, lo- you know, it's not a, a farm to table type of atmosphere anymore like it used to be with where it was lots of small mom and pop farmers that employed thousands of people are being replaced by centralized, large scale industrial agricultural facilities where the majority of the jobs have been automated and there's a handful of people that know how to run it and then a whole bunch of people that just are there to clean up and that's it. Well, so so here's the thing, though, is, man, they make high quality wine with similar type of technology you're talking about, but it's high quality. Right. Well, like, what's but what is the agricultural market for grapes doing and, and wine grapes and table, not to mention table grapes, too, but wine grapes in particular in California? It's not very good at all. Well, right I'm, now. Ju- I'm just I'm just saying, look at look an example like there can be quality even in a commercial marketplace. You know, there's, well, there's high end there's high end beers. You're that right. You're produced. right. But what but what is it worth if if a regular pound is worth? Uh, you know, just as an it's example, it, if, a cheap, if a cheap beer is $2.50, right, then an expensive beer is $6 or something, right? Yes, yeah, the so, consciousness of making some super dank weed, like that's what should be into it. It can't just be about the money. It, well, I think there's going to be a, a big change in difference between the two types of businesses that'll succeed. There's going to be small that provides a high-quality product to a select predetermined demographic right and then there's the weed that everybody buys and that's 80 80 90 percent of the market right mm-hmm. yeah i mean that's like coors light and budweiser right, right exactly it's like yeah there is a small market but the other thing you have to keep in mind is that with small craft cannabis it's a perishable good whereas wine and beer they actually become more expensive with age because someone has to pay to, to store it right <laughs> so you know, there's a big difference there in yeah, terms yeah, sure, of totally. the volume you can produce, the ability to store that product over time, and how you can manage the financial situation of that. Yeah, cash flow is a bitch. <laughs> it's difficult, as in, you know, this is why we have farmers' unions. Even the federal government spends billions of dollars a year in farm subsidies to keep farms afloat in America because of this problem, this exact problem. You overproduce for for basically a, a preset market once you grow too much you have to sell it because it goes bad so you right. gotta figure or like out how the to cheese sell. epidemic right now or the dairy epidemic they're buying right a bunch you gotta of figure out how cheese. to sell it to the rest of the world basically yeah, right. At that <laughs> <laughs> right or give it away buy it give well, it away stabilize yeah. the price for everybody else when they set max cultivation limits at forty thousand square feet of canopy for outdoor an acre of outdoor essentially it's going to create problems you know it's uh, it's not even a question. I don't see an acre being that much, but like acres. Well, once you're talking about a thousand operators with an acre each, that's, you know, and we're talking an acre of canopy. That's an acre and a half of actual land being utilized. Sure. Because uh, the, the canopy you're talking is, about an acre. And yeah, an acre. it's actual canopy, not just an acre. It's it's you could put it. You could put an acre of weed on two acres if you want and get even more. Right. Yeah, sure. Sure. Because you're only limited by whatever the canopy, canopy size is. Walkways and stuff are not in, in it. Not counted. Sure. You need to drive a bus through that shit. 
Right. You know, it's, it's called overproduction. I mean, if you, if you do the math up here in Washington, uh, and it depends on, you know, what the stabilized yearly amount of money it is. But if you were to set the cultivation limits at, at between 2,500 and 5,000 square feet of canopy, you would end up with a much more stabilized, diverse cultivation market. Right. Similar to how they, they started with tobacco or how they did tobacco for years and years. Right, exactly. Right. Because small license, that's the only small farms. Right. That's the only way that you can actually keep everybody fed. As soon as you start industrializing and centralizing it, you only need a handful of those producers. Oh, yeah, those people are out there too. That's what they want. They want to cover to the whole market. Yeah, they want a ten or twenty percent market share. You know, they want there to be five main producers and that's it. And there's maybe a, a few little fringe guys that are able to capitalize on some boutique market of some sort, but you're not talking a major piece. You're talking about other people trying to capitalize the system. That's capitalism at its finest. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's the beauty of the, the green rush right now. It's opening up for all the players. Anybody. Well, unfortunately, that it's uh, industrialization of agricultural goods like that is what caused the collapse of the small farm in America. So the reason that you buy shitty produce at the grocery store and the reason that your milk has tons of antibiotics and shit in it is because of industrialized agriculture and industrialized farming, essentially, right? Raising animals and everything else. And that's the cause of it. And so you have to vote with your dollars there. You know, what do you want to support? Do you want to support an industrialized model that leads to what Kmart and Fred Meyer and everything else exists as? Or do you want to maintain some resemblance of what the market used to be 10 years ago when it was small boutique farmers catering to demanding consumers. Yeah, man, politics abound, dude. No matter how you look at it, politics, laws, business, they get involved in any new market, but especially cannabis, there's going to be some difficulty with it. That is a for sure. We're just kind of learning our way and growing our way through it. Just like you have, you decided to go from Seattle or to Washington down to Oregon because you wanted to be involved in the cannabis industry, but you didn't feel like Washington was the best place for your business model. So Correct. you, you, you yeah. rode the wave, went down to Oregon, and uh, uh, after a little while, you set up shop, man. So let's tell, tell me about the shop. Tell me what goes on there. It's um, basically a small shop with a big parking lot <laughs> well, you, you can so, you, you buy weed up front and you grow weed in the back is that how it's going on yeah so it's uh it's an industrial building there is uh the dispensary in one part and then it's a our nursery in the other part which uh we provide clones for not only our customers but also wholesale producers in the whole state as well so we are a commercial nursery and seed bank <laughs> And dispensary uh, with, you know, two separate businesses next to each other. So you, you grow all the weed on site? Not the flowers, just Not the, the flowers. Uh, yeah, just the um, just nursery the clones. on site. Okay, yeah. just the clones. So how, how big's your mom room for something like that? Not excessively large. I mean, it's uh, big enough to supply everybody that we have so far. Doesn't take much, really. Nope, it doesn't if you know what you're doing. How many strains are you guys pumping out of there? Uh, mainly for our wholesale producers, they, you know, there's about four main ones that people like to really concentrate production on, you know, and that's your typical brand name flowers, cookies and Bubba type plants, OGs, diesel, and some other type of boutique stuff. <laughs> oh, so you, you guys sell market driven clones as well as your own clones? Yeah. Oh, so I have, okay. so like, for example, probably what's on shelf right now is, uh, um, Girl Scout cookies. The real Girl Scout cookies. Gorilla Glue number four. The real um, Gorilla Glue number four. <laughs> Rude Boy OG. Rude Boy. Bop, bop, bop. And probably, I don't know, probably some fourth one. Uh, shark Bite or something like that. Another seed phenotype. Sweet. Sour Diesel on the list today. Oh, we have Sour Diesel probably there for sure. That's uh, <laughs> That's always something everybody wants. Yeah, no doubt. It makes great uh, fresh Give me some diesel any day, for sure. I know you're a sour diesel fan. 
Yeah, smoking D's, sour D's. I'm smoking sour. sour Although it's lo- it's lost a lot of provenance in the. Uh... It definitely had a huge impact on from Humboldt. Lots of lots of sour diesel grown up there for years and years. You get highest quality sour diesel today probably in Humboldt County. Just like randomly, if you went to look for it, if you're at the gas station, you're like, dude, I need some diesel. The guy right. on the counter is like, oh, I got some. I just pulled out my closet. My backyard, right. my light bed. <laughs> it's very likely. <laughs> right. So uh grows down the street. Tell me about the grow. It's uh about eighty seven fifty Gavitas. And then a good size veg, you know, traditionally set up in most reasons just for serviceability. It's uh small and efficient and produces quality. So you got you got seven D seven fifty. That's a non conventional light. Love them. We we sell tons of them at Cultivate Colorado. Yeah, you pots on the floor. You got trays. You got you got yeah rolling rolling benches. Rolling benches. Yeah, rolling benches with uh you know anywhere between three and five gallon soilless, and then compost teas, Pure Blend Pro, Botanicare, and uh, used a lot of their um what's their Rhizo product? Rhizotonic, I think, or something Rhizoblast, something like that. Anyways, the Oregon State Department of Agriculture did a recent study where they tested all the different products for the presence of um, actual trichoderma, right? Mm-hmm. Have you seen this, Chip? Mm-hmm. And that one had it in there. It was like one of the only ones, and not only that, the actual content was two or three times more <laughs> than what was actually labeled on the bottle. Right. It was basically on the list. There was basically that. And I can't remember one other product that actually tested positive for the actual presence of trichoderma. Everything else was completely dead. Right. Mm-hmm. Great white. All that stuff was dead. I mean, <laughs> yeah, well, a $300 uh, bottle of talcum powder with dead shit in it. Yeah. You know, that's why I've always resisted putting mycorrhiza in my potting soil that we package for sale. In the early days when we tested for it, we, we could never find it. We'd put it right. in there. We'd package it up. We'd test it a week, two weeks, six weeks, two months later, and we'd never, it'd never see it, man. Right. There's someone out there getting really rich selling talcum powder <laughs> is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fact, wow. fact of the matter, if you're on Alibaba buying your trichoderma to mix your you might be buying <laughs> your mycorrhiza. Oh, You're buying talcum powder and then selling it to other people. I mean, like uh, the OG Bio Ward, that stuff tested negative. I mean, all the like <laughs> quote unquote best products have all tested negative for the presence of trichoderma. And, you know, I wonder why. Well, it's because Botanicare probably actually has the money to do the research and test the product and make sure it's sitting in the bottom of the shelf and. You know, everybody else, you know, you kind of have to be a mad scientist to really figure it out. Otherwise, you're just mixing something you bought from someone Picking else. Picking it up in the kitchen, right? Right. You've got your own soil mix. You're in five-gallon pots? Yeah. Five-gallon pots. You you blend your own custom soil. How many plants under go under a light? What's the square footage on one of those 750s? How do you run those? I think they're like three-foot centers or something like that. Oh, wow, wow, wow. You, you run them tight. Three-foot centers? But then there's like slight gaps in the middle for the walkway a little bit, you know, right. just to make it. So a three by three, you're running one seven fifty under a three by three. It might be a little bit wider in one dimension, like maybe right. three by four, three by four. Right. Twelve square feet. Yeah. So what you got four or six plants under a light? It just depends on how it, what it is. I mean, it could right now, just because of the way everything is, you have to grow big plants. Because of the medical laws, uh, right? Okay, and, they, and like everything's being transferred to recreational, and it's just like a whole mess, right? So, I mean, Oregon's been known for big growing plants. Are you growing like big half pound plants indoors? Is that what you're talking about? Currently, yeah. Oh, okay. Wow, I thought it had progressed beyond that. Usually, they'd be smaller, but it's just right. current time, right? When it's all said and done, it'll be about six to nine plants underneath each one. Yeah, man, let's let's chat about that for a second. You know, I I, I complained about a large plant inside, but but uh, I, it just takes more to veg out those bigger plants. And it absolutely, you can grow half pound and pound and pound and a half plants under a thousand watt lights indoors. It just takes a lot of energy and effort to veg those plants out. 
to get Correct. up to that flower point. Unless you have a nursery. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's there's ways around it. There's inner, you know. Well, you when you take a, it, if you, you know? have a if you have a mom in your nursery, that's that you're going to replace. You just flower that plant out. <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. Well, you know, I'm just saying it's way easier to plant smaller, more plants. It's right. way more cost effective. I agree. Right. More agree. profit margin. Yeah. Because that's what it's about. Them dollars, clocking them dollars. You grow, you, you're not growing organic. You're using Pure Blend. You, you use Pure Blend Pro? I use Pure Blend Pro. I use some two-part nutrient formulas that we make and a lot of composties. Mm -hmm. And that's basically it. A little bit of silica. That's it. Your own composty formula? Yeah. Anything organic? Yeah, it's all worm castings and fish bone meal, kelp meal, crab meal, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. No hydro? Nope, I'm not doing hydroponics, but am not against Rockwell with hydroponic nutrients. It's just a matter of uh, what your market demands and the type of quality that you're trying to produce and also the scale of your facility. I mean, once you're starting to get over, let's say, you know, 150 or 200 lamps or uh, or that indoor, you better have enough space for like a potting machine and stuff like that and, and all that good stuff. So you guys on trip? Yeah, we're on a drip system, irrigation. A hydroponic drip system? Yeah, that and uh, it's all pressure controlled and little drip emitters and all that good stuff. Pressure compensated drip emitters? Correct. Right. What do you clone with? Uh, Rockwell. You're, you're in Rockwell and that's how when I go, if I were to come and buy my four clones, I'd buy four Rockwell clones? Nope. When you purchase them, they are already like teens, basically. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're uh, between six and eight inches tall mm -hmm. uh but don't tell me they're in a dixie cup no no they're in three three and a half inch nursery flats uh <laughs> with um dividers and they're all hand watered from underneath so that they uh produce very thick roots on the bottom and you'll have a hard time pulling them out of the the uh pot because the roots are growing <laughs> all together all together right. Right. Underneath so it's like the a, four, a four pack cell pack yeah, and exactly. It's uh, the rock wool with soil or more rock wool? Or it's with soil. It's with yeah, soil. Yeah, with a soilless medium. What size cube are you, you on then? Uh, one and a half. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. One and a half inch cube, just a little bit of soil, three inch pot, and a four pack. Yep, and uh, hand size families. <laughs> hand size families. They're ready to take off. You put them in. Yeah, you plant exactly. Them. You, you plant, plant them and they go. It's not like a clone that you get from a lot of other places and you take it home and it uh, droops over and dies on you or something. Right. No power cloners. No, no power cloners. This thing's hardened off and ready to rip. Right. Right. I mean, a lot of producers are coming to us to just fill their rooms because <clears throat> you make considerably more money having a producer produce the clones for you, getting rid of your veg in your clone room, putting in more flowering lights right, and uh, having full-time production. Yeah. You're, you minimize your, your cross-contamination. There's a lot of benefits to uh, um, nursery implementation in a production facility, whether it's an in-house nursery or just purchasing them. And to be honest, it's, it's better to purchase almost. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. It's uh you know, traditionally, cloning has been an in-house procedure here in Colorado. In California, it's it's predominantly been clones. You bought clones, you know, from your dispensary, your friend, or the guy down the street, or the clone dealer, right? Yep, yep. Right, that's the way, man, it's just different cultures, man. It's different cultures. Well, in California, they can't afford to be stupid by wasting, a, like, Vegging, exactly. Mm -hmm. Keep if you're, moms. Well, and and talk about electrical bill. You know, it's just financially you're making a mistake running an eighteen or twenty four hour room with four lights in it for the same same amount of cost and electricity. You could be running six or eight more lights of flower if you just buy your clones, right? <laughs> right. And that's, and the, that's, uh, some, that's some interesting complex math, but you're totally correct. Right. Well, I mean, that's the. I mean financially that's what it costs you for in electricity and yeah. not to mention the square footage that you're paying for as well. It's just that reliable clone producer. You get one of those and it's off. To that's the exactly it. That was exactly the, the point that I was going to make is the only reason that you wouldn't do that is that you don't have access to a reliable clone producer. Once you do, it makes a hundred percent sense to just buy from somebody else because 
there's always hiccups with you know your own clone production you're a week late or a week ahead and they're not the right size or whatever if your friend or you, or you have five or ten different produce, clone producers that you know of you can go out and find who has the starts that are the size variety and everything that you need just plug them right in yeah right plug and play go for it how do you guys plan up the clones you 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 pull them out of these three inch pots too yeah yeah, right. and then just plant them. Yeah, into into uh, that five gallon pot or into a, a it just intermediate de- pot. It just depends on what it is, how big you need to veg it, how much time you have until the next round. Mm-hmm. Nothing ever works on schedule. You got to go by the plant space. Yeah, no doubt you can't SOP the life of a plant. Unfortunately, it doesn't work that simple. Well, hey, man, that's a good place to take a break. Let's take a break. Real dirt, Chip Baker, Fletch from Archive Seeds. The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. Equio, New Frontier's cutting-edge big data platform, puts the information and answers you need right at your fingertips in real time to help you more effectively run your cannabis business. Go to www.equio.io to sign up for your free membership today. Again, that's www.equio.io. Run with New Frontier and let us help you conquer the wild. Time to get all the insider cannabis industry secrets straight from the mouths of the OG weed pioneers on The Real Dirt with Chip Baker. And we're back, Real Dirt, Chip and Fletch. What you smoking on these days, Fletch? Um, this, uh, we call it Lemon Peel. Lemon G crossed with Triangle Kush Stardog. It was made by, do you know TR Seeds, Tierra Rojo? Okay. You know Phil out in Colorado? No, I yeah. don't know Phil. He used to run Gaia, which is now Mindful. Mm. He used to run their cultivation center. Okay. I know the place. Um, he took I-95 male, which is from Top Dog, and crossed it with the Lemon G from Ohio. And uh, I grew out a bunch of those seeds and found a good phenotype. And it smells like a lemon peel and chem dog and skunk and super tasty, yields really high, makes great bubble hash and rosin and great plant to grow it's pretty uh pretty good overall i mean a lot of the seeds in that whole line were hermaphroditic which is pretty typical from uh chem dog lines not a big deal to me i'll i'm willing to uh hunt through it for a good one and this one even has a little bit of some hermy traits but it's uh manageable like sour diesel to the point that uh it doesn't produce seeds and the quality and everything else right. the comes on real late it. the herm comes on real late no, it doesn't even put off bananas. It just oh, throws okay. off a few uh, few sacks at the bottoms if you don't clean up the bottoms, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to clean up all the bottoms, which should be, you know. I mean, you should do that anyway. But. Absolutely. So right. unless you're lazy and don't do it until like three weeks or four weeks in or something, then you may see some action. But if you actually clean your plants up like you should, you'll never even see it. What type of growth structure? Uh, it's very strong branched and it has a great root system. Holds itself up and it grows big fat nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> Is it stretch? Uh, it's like a medium stretcher. It's not excessive. It, it makes nice long 
colas. It does a little bit of the lemon G's kind of fingering out towards the top with the tops that are near the light. It's also a low light performer. So if you have a, a, like less light than usual, it performs really well. This isn't even your seed. This is a, 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 a seed you got from someone else. Correct. This is a clone that I grow for my store. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. And you found this, you found this clone? Yeah, I found this clone from seed. <laughs> well, that's, you know, unusual. I believe most seed people would only want to say they planted their own shit. That's great. To, uh, you're so <laughs> interested in cannabis looking for the good stuff that you'll, you'll plant other people's stuff. Is this a practice? Tell me about it. Yeah, I'll grow anything that sounds good. Um, I mean, we grow a lot of dosi dough for my store as well, which is, uh, you know, that one's taken over the whole cookie scene by storm. And that's the face off OG cross with the OG Kush breath phenotype of cookies, which, you know, one of the original companies or basically the original company that, uh, had the agreement with, uh, NorCal and OG Kush breath, the, the guy to breed that variety. Right. And that's, uh, where that clone came from. And that's what, you know, just won a cup recently and all kinds of stuff. Damn, I need to, I need me some dosy dough. Yeah, it's just like the cookie. Damn, <laughs> does it grow better than the cookie? Yeah, it's uh, heavier yielding, grows better, clones better. Depends on which pheno. Yeah, there's multiple phenotypes out there. Mm-hmm. There's two main ones in California. I've got like five different ones. I've given some to a few other people. There's a few people that got a few packs of seeds. Uh, the OG Kush Breath original mother plant doesn't produce very much seeds when you uh, pollinate it. Mm-hmm. So I don't really make those for commercial production anymore because they're just – the plant doesn't yield very much seed at all. <laughs> right, right, right. Awesome, man. I, I believe you smoked me on out on some of that the last time we were here, but I, I didn't really realize it was your seed. Yep, yeah. yep. It's uh, so what else? What a lot what, of it is. The Rude Boy I smoke a lot of, the Rude Boy rosin that we make from the bubble hash. Is one of my favorite things to smoke by far as well. Rude boy rosin, uh, man. I almost want, I want some. I, I just love saying it. Rude boy right. rosin, man. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and then another buddy. Yeah, of mine, man. Rude uh, boy rosin. Bop, bop, bop. Like what I'm smoking right now is uh, rosin made from bubble hash from White Tahoe crossed with cookies, which was made by my buddy Cush uh, for Breakfast on Instagram. Oof. And. Uh, that's another, you know, good hybrid that we also uh, carry at the shop. Well, wow, you're a really great destination for, for strains. That's awesome. Well, I mean, you've known me a long time, Chip. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. You've always had the search for strains and been able to sniff out when people were bullshit over the ones they had. That's for sure. You've got a great memory and a relationship with the, the plant, and you can really remember how plants grow and how they act and and you're very you're very observant so all, all those traits all together you know make, make you a good person to collect strains you know the OCD helps with ke- keeping it all labeled and organized how many how right. many are you up to how many are you up to these days uh you know it, it surges but you know anywhere between like 40 and 70 at times mm-hmm. man you you got any like terminology or slang you guys use around the shop that's entered into your vocabulary strictly because of the legal cannabis environment? Well, I don't know about the legal cannabis environment, but like you've talked with Jordan before, right? Mm -hmm. And we had this social experiment and I think it's time to uh, tell people about the social experiment, right? And uh, it was with um, Jordan and the CCC 420 guys, right? Shane and Dan and Toph, right? And at the time, this was about, I don't know, three or four years ago. Basically, oil was becoming really, really popular. And Terpex was, you know, pretty big in California. Gold Coast was really big. You know, the CCC 420, those guys were really big on YouTube, doing lots of videos at the time. You know, we are curious because, you know, you know, you've heard of Matt Rise and his ice wax and you've, you know, uh, oh, Nicotine yeah. and his solvent list. And everybody came up with a new name for for what we've always known as bubble hash. I mean, when was the first time you made full melt bubble hash chip? 2000, you know, or no, something, no, okay. you know, 1999, 2000, you know, I would, right when the 
right when the bags came out, I made my first full melt where it goes straight through the screen. I, I was posting pictures of it in 2003. No, you I know, think, I think it was a uh, pre bubble bag, 1998. Right. right. Isolator. Right. Yeah. yeah. Isolator. There you go. Right. Right. Exactly. But I'm just saying, you know, these guys keep coming up with a new name, acting like they, you know, just saw the sun for the first time. And now it's this new name because everybody thinks bubble hash is crappy quality. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Bubble hash has always been awesome quality. That's, you know, ever since the 73 micron bag has been out, this it's been game over if you've got good quality product to start with. Mm. So that became our, our thing was at the time I, I didn't really like smoking a lot of oil because I've always been a bubble hash dry sift kind of guy. And I kind of was getting them into bubble hash because those they were all oil guys, the CC420 and Turpex and them, you know. So we were sitting around and I'd get them like when you smoke a lot of oil, you end up just getting only a certain amount of high. But bubble hash and flowers, you know, they would get like almost drunk high off of flowers and bubble hash because they didn't they only smoke oil all the time. Right. Right. Yeah, sure. And and BHO being a selective solvent, it's also selective in what cannabinoids it pulls out to a certain degree. You don't get the full effect of what the flowers is. It's not exactly the same. So they'd get all ripped and we were sitting around one day watching football and there's a guy named Jermichael Finley who was playing football and he got in some, you know, bad like uh, collision on the field and just got wrecked and we're all sitting around and I can't remember who it was, but one of us said, dude, I'm Jermichael. Right. So we because it's so we started just talking, saying, you know, when you put a, a screen of bubble hash on top of your email and smoke it, we'd send it out and we'd call it Jermichael. And if you if you look up like Jermichael on Instagram, there's like thousands of posts and a bunch of them are bubble hash. Right. <laughs> like thousands of posts are tagged Jermichael <laughs> and people are like, what's Jermichael? And it, it just means bubble hash. Right. But the social experiment was to see how many people we could start calling bubble hash Jermichael, yeah, just right. like solventless or ice hash or whatever the fuck you want to call it. It was just a joke. And it's like, dude, if you've got a social media outreach at all, you can get people to start calling almost anything, whatever yeah. you want. Right. Coco Kush. And, and call it your own brand. And it's just, <laughs> you know, it was kind of a testament to how effective social media has become yeah. with branding and marketing cannabis products. Yeah. You, you've done really well. Instagram, you've got a pretty good Instagram account. I love following you. Yep. Yep. It's a necessary part of your marketing nowadays. Yeah. But, um, you know, some people use it as a, as a, uh, self-esteem tool or something like that, but I see it as a business account. <laughs> Is it archives, archive seed, Instagram? archive seed bank, archive seed bank on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also the source Instagram, which is Archive Portland. Man, if you can look into your crystal ball, what's the future hold for? Oh, do you want the good or the bad? You know, hey, hey, let's let's do both. Let's go the yin and yang. What's the future hold for you in five years? That's the good. Oh, uh, I'm just trying to keep it simple and produce good quality on a small scale, and not enter into the uh, agricultural wholesale market. Right, high quality seed to sale farm to table i own the restaurant and the farm right right awesome so okay that give, give me the give me the good and the bad overall industry five years well the good is that hopefully people will um appreciate craft cannabis and high quality cannabis and will uh support small businesses that are producing that whether it's a wholesale producer or a, a seed to sale producer you know you can affect business with where you spend your money and if people just buy you know these you know penny stock backed corporate cannabis business entities whose really only goal is to gain market share through a lot of savvy yet agriculturally underhanded business tactics and mm -hmm. take over market share develop a business portfolio out of that and then sell it to someone that they think uh, uh, an investment firm or a group or Anheuser-Busch or tobacco company or whoever wants to enter the market. 
And their concerns aren't really with making a profit, which is what mom and pops are concerned about. How are they going to feed themselves every week? These big corporations, they don't have any interest in making money in the current term because they're already millionaires, the guys running those corporations. They're already millionaires. They don't, they're not worried about paying their mortgage. It's not a big deal to them uh, for the business to operate at no profit or zero profit or even a slight loss every year as long as they're gaining market share. And you're seeing that up here in Washington State starting to occur. There's becoming about five to ten major producers that gain the majority of the wholesale market share. Markets becoming more and more divided in terms of where the dollars are going. Even though the retailer pays the uh, retail sales tax, they're still getting more than 60% of the actual retail price to the retailer. And the cost to sell weed is, uh, you know, I don't know how many times, but it's considerably many times less than the cost of producing that pound. I don't know how exciting that sounds. Right. <laughs> so, well, I'm with you. I hope that craft cannabis becomes alive. There's always going to be huge, large-scale commercial cannabis. Let that happen. And uh, let's, let's get some more people in the craft cannabis, more people into higher-end consciousness of the materials you put into it, how you grow it, what you get out of it. Well, there's only three solutions to that. Two of them probably won't happen. One is government subsidies, not going to happen. Two is a farmer's union, which is possible, but you need high participation. And the third one is government-imposed production restrictions that are in line with the financial and quantitative uh, assessment of what the state's consumption is going to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, the, if, you, if you can't let the state govern it or – do it, then you're going to end up with subsidies or farm unions. But the collapse has to happen first before that really takes over. And that's that's what's happened historically with agriculture in America. I mean, look it up for anything else. Look at the 20s, right before the Great Depression. Yeah, it's all simple, simple economics, supply and demand economics. Yeah, and agriculture and is, farmers. you know, much is very different than everything else because everybody can grow. Um, it's not like uh, when you invent something and you can patent it necessarily, right? It's, you know, almost anybody can grow cannabis if they want. So it's reality. It's, you know, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer. <laughs> it's just uh, reality of what the situation is. No, there's think being, a silver being, lining there. Yeah, and being prepared for it, right, is the silver lining. Because um, for people that are savvy, there's money to be made in that type of situation as well. So, mm-hmm. absolutely. Well, there it is, man. The real dirt. It's been awesome chatting with you, Fletch. Yeah, we for always, sure. We always have such good conversations about uh, the state of the cannabis world, and I was, I was stoked to get you on the show. Yeah, appreciate you having me. Awesome, man. Real dirt. Chip Baker, Fletcher from Archive Seeds. Thanks, bud. Ah, another epic episode of the real dirt. Let me give a thanks to Denver Consulting, Bickle Consulting, Archive Seed Bank, Canacraft, and Cultivate Colorado. A big up to my production team, Lisa, Phipps, Willow, Chris, Michael, and Hollis. And to the rest of you, stay dirty, my friends. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.